What's up, you lovely people? Welcome to another Old Head Podcast. I'm Steven, and let's just jump right into this bitch. This week's episode came about because recently, over the past handful of years, I've found myself becoming very interested, almost fanatical, about certain artists that have been around, and I've known them for my entire life, pretty much, but it's taken 40 years or whatever to click and all of a sudden become a true fan of these artists. And it got me thinking about that music that's just out there. You're you're born, and this music is kind of around. On the radio, on, you know, back in the day on MTV. Uh, Nowadays, it would be maybe in commercials or on video games or on YouTube or whatever. But it's music that you didn't really ever seek out. It was there because it was already popular, already established, and you either love it or hate it, or in my case, you're kind of indifferent for a while with some of it. So today, I'm going to talk about a few of those artists that I've had varying degrees of interest in, but they have been around since before I was born, and they have been in my life, whether I really knew it or not, for my entire life. So the band that I'm going to start with is a band that started a few years before I was born, and they are still going strong today with the exact same lineup that they started with. Now, this was a band that I started hearing from a very early age, just kind of around, on TV, on people's car stereos, just in passing. They were a band that was already around, but I didn't really start to know who they were until around 1986, when this band collaborated with another group called Run DMC, and put out this song called Walk This Way. That's right, I'm talking about Aerosmith. So the reason I was into Walk This Way is not because of Aerosmith, it was because of Run DMC. But that song put Aerosmith out there for me and said, hey, here's this group. And soon after that, in 87, they put out that Permanent Vacation album, and you heard Dude Looks Like a Lady Everywhere, And what was it? Ragdoll was the other one that was pretty big. Oh, Angel. How could I forget that? But these were all songs that I just sort of heard. And I liked them, but I didn't seek out that album. Um, In 1989, the album Pump came out. And I remember getting this album on cassette based alone on the strength of the song Love in an Elevator, which is a super catchy rock song. And... That's kind of what I was into around that time. And I remember listening to the cassette of Pump over and over again, and I totally loved it. But it didn't hold me in the way that other bands did. Like, 
when they announced the next Aerosmith album several years later, I wasn't going to go out and immediately get it. I had sort of moved on. My path and Aerosmith's paths had diverged. But I remember in 1993, the album Get a Grip came out, and I wasn't seeking out this music, but they would play Aerosmith on Headbangers Ball or other times on MTV. And at that point, I was such a big fan of just MTV in general, I just watched whatever was on. And some of it I liked, some of it I didn't like. But I remember sitting watching Headbangers Ball and they would play the videos for Crying and uh, Living on the Edge, you know, all those super popular songs. And I didn't turn the channel, but I wasn't necessarily like, oh, I got to go out and get this album. It was kind of whatever music to me. And so Aerosmith kept going, kept having all this popularity, but I was going on a different path. I was into the thrash metal and the death metal and everything that was kind of sort of in the same world as Aerosmith, but on a totally different track. Still rock and roll, just not that kind of rock and roll. And then I remember in the late 90s, something happened where all of a sudden, I fucking hated Aerosmith. And it's probably due to the song I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from the Armageddon soundtrack. For whatever reason, the part of me that was still hanging on to a little bit of interest in Aerosmith was totally severed. And for years, I considered Aerosmith one of the worst bands ever. And that continued for a while. But to be fair, I never really gave it a whole lot of thought. It was a gut reaction, and I went, I don't like this. Fuck this. And then, years later, in my late 30s, I would occasionally hear an Aerosmith song on the radio or what have you, and I remember thinking, this ain't that bad. This is actually pretty good. Now, was this because I was becoming an old man? Or... Is it you get older and you start to appreciate things differently? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna say it's a combination of the both. But either way, I started really getting into their music. And then I remember one day I was watching an old episode of Headbangers Ball and the video for Crying came on. Now, I had had a few beers, mind you, but I remember. That video being on, and I had seen it so many times when it came out, and heard that song so many times, and I found myself overwhelmed with this feeling of comfort, like it was an old friend that had come back to visit, and we were reminiscing over the good times when we were young. And so I realized at that point, I I just need to admit it, I'm a fucking... Aerosmith fan, old or new, I don't give a shit. All the elements of that band, the way each individual person plays, the way they write songs or collaborate on writing songs, and the way Steven Tyler sings and phrases his words, it it all just feels fucking good. 
So anyway, let's move on to uh, another artist. And this artist, like all of the artists I'm going to talk about today, started in the early to mid-70s, right before I was born, and were already successful. This artist was already very successful by the time I was born, but I don't really have any memory of hearing him until around the mid-80s. And I remember listening to the radio, and the DJ was telling a story about how this artist was in the middle of recording his new album, and he became very frustrated with the recording sessions, and so he punched a wall and crushed his hand. And I was like, fuck, who's this? And the DJ said, and now here's You Got Lucky by Tom Petty. And there he was, in my life. And soon after that, he released the single Don't Come Around Here No More, and I got that on a little 7-inch. I wish I still had it, but unfortunately, I do not. But that was in 1985, and I don't think I'd fully gotten into the always buying albums kind of thing. But by the time I did get to that point, Tom Petty had released the album Full Moon Fever. And just like with the Aerosmith album, I bought that one on cassette, and I fucking wore it out. I loved it. I loved every song. I was super stoked to always see Tom Petty on MTV. That That's one thing that I think MTV doesn't really get enough credit for, and that was the fact that even though there were all these newer, popular, young artists all over MTV, there was still a lot of love for the older folk that were still putting out albums. And then a few years later in 1991, Tom Petty put out Into the Great Wide Open, and just like with Aerosmith, I didn't rush out to get this album. Like I said before, I was on a different path. I was on a heavy metal path. But I remember loving all of the Tom Petty songs that were coming out off that album. Even in the world of metal and grunge, his shit still sounded pretty fucking good. And of course, he continued to release music, the album Wildflowers in 1994. And once again, I, I, I liked what I was seeing, but I, I didn't dive into any of those albums he put out. But he kept putting out quality shit into the 2000s. And it was sometime around the early 2000s that I started going back and listening to the old Tom Petty songs. And they started to click with me because at this point, I was in my mid-20s. I had already spent about 10 years learning how to write songs and play guitar and perform as an artist. And I started to really see the fucking genius of not only Tom Petty's songwriting, but his delivery. No matter what he was singing about, I fucking believed it. And gradually, over the years, I became a bigger and bigger fan of all of Tom Petty's albums. Unfortunately, I never got a chance to see him live before he died. And that's probably one of my biggest regrets as a music fan. Because I love that guy's music, and I think 
as the years and decades go on, I'm pretty sure that his legacy is going to surpass that of pretty much any other solo artist you can think of. But let's move on to the last artist I'm going to talk about. And once again, this band formed in the 70s, and they were way more of a rock radio staple when I was growing up. You would hear their songs on the rock radio station, and even at a very young age, I remember thinking that their music seemed much more sophisticated than the other things that were being played with it. And by the late 80s, when I had become a full-on metal and rock fan, of course you start hearing about the bands that sort of led the way. And out of all of those, your Black Sabbaths and your Led Zeppelins and, and what have you, the first out of all those bands that really clicked with me was the band Rush. And I got their compilation album, which was called Chronicles, around 1990 or 91, I think. And I remember being so fascinated by the musicianship and the sort of unusual songwriting. Because at that point, I had pretty much just listened to straight-ahead rock and metal the progressive thing hadn't yet come into my world. So when I would hear a song like Xanadu, I would be like, how the fuck did they come up with this? And by the way, that riff in the beginning part of Xanadu is one of my favorites ever. Go listen to that song. But anyway, so I wore the fuck out of that Chronicles album, which I had on CD. It was a double CD, if I remember right. But just like the other two artists I mentioned... I didn't keep following them. And once again, leave it to the trusty Headbangers Ball to let me know that Rush was still out there. In 1993, they would play the video for the song Stick It Out from the album, I believe that was on Counterparts. And I remember really digging that when it came out because it was like a little bit of a heavier rush. And I was like, well, these guys already know how to do heavy. So of course, of course they could do this shit. But it didn't drive me to go out and buy the album. So I was still kind of a Greatest Hits Rush fan. And in 2002, I actually did get to see them live on their Vapor Trails tour, I believe it was. And if you're a Rush fan, I don't need to tell you. They were fucking phenomenal. They played all of the songs I wanted to hear. They were tight as fuck. It was an entire sea of young to middle-aged men playing air drums for pretty much two hours. It was everything that I wanted from a Rush show. But once again, I didn't start going back and really digging into their albums. That, like the rest of these artists, didn't really start happening until I was in my 30s. And just like with Aerosmith and with Tom Petty, once I started doing it, I started realizing that this shit just feels great to listen to. Whatever connections that their sound are making to my psyche or whatever synapses are firing off, it just sounds like some of the most important rock and roll ever made. So anyway, listening to 
these artists really gets me thinking about where I was when I was younger as opposed to where I am now musically, mentally, emotionally, and why this was music that was already there, but I didn't really latch on to it. And I think part of it at least is because it was music that was already there before I was born, and it was already popular, and it was continuing to go on. So it was almost like I was taking it for granted. Like, this music doesn't need me. It's good, but you know what? I'll catch up with it later. Which, I guess I did. But I think when you're young, you don't really think about the fact that nothing can last forever. And these dudes can't continue to play this music forever. In the case of Rush, they graciously bowed out. And apparently it had something to do with the fact that Neil Peart doesn't think he can play the songs as well as he used to. And that's fine. That's their decision. Or in the case of Tom Petty, he was taken from us way too soon. So in the end, what I ended up finding out was, no, these artists didn't need me, but I needed them. And... When it's all over, if there was somehow a way to extract my story out of my soul and print it out for everyone to see, without a doubt, among all of the bands and people in my life that I have loved, the names Aerosmith, Tom Petty, and Rush would be there also. So... That's about all I got for you for this episode. But uh, take a minute to sort of think about the artists and the music that you have taken for granted in your life. It could be something that you just heard around your house when you were growing up. Or it could be certain songs that you heard in the background of a video game that you liked to play a lot. Either way, I believe it's always important to acknowledge the music that catches your ear, whatever that may be. Anyway, it's been great once again. Thank you for listening. Please go visit the Old Head Podcast YouTube page and check out some of the videos I've been making. And go listen to some fucking music. And I will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.